Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every week, we interview thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. It's www.saleslabs.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. So hello, everyone. I am here with one, actually, the most special guest I could have in this podcast so far for me. Uh, I'm a real fan and I'm super happy to have him here, actually impressed. And please welcome everyone to John Barrows to the show. Hi, John. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I am really happy to have you, really. Um, so just for everyone to know a little bit uh, how I reach out to you. As you know, I'm, I'm a great fan and I started believing in this podcast by listening to one of the episodes that you were talking about. And, and that's the reason why I really wanted to discuss with you and talk a bit further. Sorry. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you can give me a little bit of your, your background um, so people can know a little bit more about you. I know that you're really well known in this industry, but it would be great to hear from you. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting how kind of people end up where they are, right? I mean, I, I've always said I've, uh, I've, I've never been the smartest kid out there, but I'm definitely an opportunist and I, and I tend to kind of keep moving in the right direction, hopefully making decent decisions. But um, got into sales just like everybody else. You know, I, I, uh, here in the States, I went to, <clears throat> excuse me, University of Maryland. Got my degree in marketing um, because you really couldn't get your degree in sales back then. Um, I didn't even know that sales was a thing really uh, until I got out of college. You know, now in the states, I think there's um, there's about four thousand colleges here in the U.S. and there's uh, I think you can now get your degree in sales in about seventy of them, which is encouraging. So you're starting to see sales as a profession be taught, but back then there it wasn't. So I uh, got into sales with DeWalt Power Tools and, and really, it wasn't really sales, it was more event marketing, <clears throat> excuse me. And then from there, uh, after about a year and a half doing that, I got into, uh, I moved to Xerox and that's really where I got my true sales education. Uh, so selling copiers is about as brutal as it gets. Uh, and they had a really good sales training program. So, so I did that. Um, and then I just didn't fit in the corporate world. I just something about me just, it, it just didn't feel right. Um, and so I, I kind of had always had this entrepreneurial gene in me because my parents were entrepreneurs when, when I was a kid, even though I didn't really even know what it meant. Both my parents worked as consultants and they worked out of the house. So I think I had that just ingrained in me. And so a friend of mine had started a company, um, a small business here in Boston doing outsourced IT support for the SMB market. And uh, they needed somebody to help sell, help them sell. So I came on board. I was the third or per, fourth person on board with them. Um, didn't know what I was doing. We were self-funded. Uh, so I took every training I could. I took, you know, you name the, the, the methodology, you know, Sandler, Miller, Hyman, Taz, all these different uh, methodologies. And I came across this one company called Basho. And it was just... I really liked the training because it was super tactical. Um, and so I used it uh, and I helped grow Thrive Up. We ended up being the fastest growing company in Massachusetts for a few years in a row. Uh, got us to about 12 million in revenue and about 85 employees. And then we sold to Staples. So Staples came and bought us. 
And uh, went about a, through about a year through that transition and come to find out apparently I'm not a corporate guy. Uh, I, I really don't like playing politics and I, and I don't have much of a filter. So Not a lot of people does. I mean, myself, I'm also struggling with that a little bit sometimes. That's why I'm, we're also doing this. Um, and so, you know, after a while, I, they, they actually offered me another position, which was a nice way of firing me. And, um, and then I started, uh, I, I, then Basho, the training company actually knocked on my door and said, Hey John, do you want to be, um, you know, do you want to be a trainer? And I was like, no, absolutely not. And, and they were like, why not? I'm like, cause I, I don't like trainers. Like most trainers, most sales trainers I had come across up until that point in my career were either failed sales professionals or professional presenters. And I just didn't want to be that guy. Like if you've ever been through a training, you could just tell the trainers never actually done what they're telling you what to do. And I didn't want to be that. They said, don't worry, you have to use these techniques to sell so you can train so you can get paid. I was like, all right, I like the whole practice, what you preach thing. So joined Basho, brought on some bigger accounts, took on some bigger ones. And uh, to make a very long story short, they screwed it all up and I took it over. So uh, I've been off on my own now for about seven years, doing my own thing, uh, working with some real fun, fast growing SaaS companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, um, Slack, uh, Oracle, Google, uh, you know, a lot of the companies who are, who are doing some fun things out there and, um, you know, just training their sales teams on techniques and tactics that, that work, but, uh, not really from a trainer standpoint. I, I don't really consider myself a trainer. I consider myself a sales rep who happens to train cause I'm out there grinding just like everybody else. And so that's kind of why I think it, it's resonating these days. But I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, myself, I'm also a sales rep and I'm pretty happy to share the experience that I've gained. And, you know, the different stories that I'm like living with uh, my customers, it's always good to have a little bit of understanding from another point of view, like how things are going and how to do things better or just different to have better results. Right. So so when we were talking uh, the other day, we were we were really discussing about different different approaches in, in terms of BDRs, SDRs, AEs. Actually, you train all of them or do you specify something in, in some specific no, I train all of them. Anybody, I mean, it, you know, we have two programs. One's filling the funnel, which is all about prospecting, you know, and uh, email, phone, social selling, brand building and all that stuff. And then we have another program called Driving to Close, which is all about uh, closing, negotiations, objection handling, uh, meeting execution. So we cover the gamut. Uh, we'll, we'll pretty much anybody, as long as it's not B2C selling. Um, I mean, yes, some of the techniques are relevant, but B2C is different than B2B. And um yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and my niche is really kind of mid-market, um, not necessarily huge enterprise, like wicked, you know, super complex selling. So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll train it all. And, and it really depends, right? As you mentioned, like middle enterprises to, I mean, middle companies rather to enterprises, completely different approach. Um, yeah. And that's why it's also important to, to know and understand who are you targeting and where are you going? in order to figure out who, who you want to sell to. Um, and yeah, actually, we were, I was asking you this part of the BDR AE because as you mentioned, you have two different approaches in sales. And sales processes, let's say, it's a, it's a long process, but there's as well a part, a really important one, which is prospecting. Um, we also discussed previously that it's not about only BDRs doing the prospecting. Right. Um, AEs have also had to work on it. And we were discussing about how, how to make it better and how to make sure that we're getting the results as, uh, you know, as planned, um, getting answers, getting people to engage with whatever is what you're doing and building a relationship with a customer, right? Um, and I was also listening as well to, to some of the previous episodes that you were talking about personalization, but also making things a little bit relevant for, for the, for the, final customer, right? And I would like to go a little bit more in depth in that sense and, and try to understand 
what's better or maybe it's not it's not about being better right it's about which approach is better to take and and when should rep apply it i had several of my bdrs or the bdrs i work with coming up to me and say like sometimes i run out of ideas of how to yeah. you know get answers or how to get motivated and i think that's that's quite important to to focus on yeah i mean you, you mentioned some layers as far as kind of personalization versus relevance and you know i built my career at least here in, in doing this training on personalization in the sense that you know going to somebody's website doing some research on them you know being very high you know reading something on their blog or reading something on their linkedin profile and sending something out there but what i'm realizing is you know personalization is okay but relevance is more important because you know i have this gentleman you know i tell this story about you know probably seven years my daughter's nine now so about seven years ago when she was two years old this gentleman he uh I don't know how he knew, I don't know where he came across me, but back then I was only two people. I was only, so I wasn't a good lead for anybody. Okay. And, uh, all of a sudden I get this book in the mail and it's a children's book. And here in Boston, you know, I'm a huge new England Patriots fan, American football, you know, go. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it was written by one of the new England Patriots players. It was a children's book written by one of the new England Patriots players signed by that person to me and my daughter and the guy who sent it to me, this guy, Scott, he sent me, he said, Hey, John, I know your daughter is about two years old right now. Um, it's a great time to be reading her bedtime stories. I also know you're a huge New England Patriots fan. So I got this children's book from Malcolm Mitchell autographed for you, for your daughter. Yes. I mean, it was legitimately the most personalized thing I'd ever gotten in my life. Like right. my, my family doesn't even give me that type of stuff. Right. And I, I mean, I was so appreciative, but I had absolutely zero need for his services. Yeah. I mean, zero need for his services. Now, funny story, come, you know, he's a business owner, he's a CEO, um, so he's playing the long game. He's not like a BDR, SDR who's gonna get promoted in six to 12 months and who cares? So he's playing a long-term relationship game. Mm -hmm. Now, it ultimately came back to him because this past year I, I used him, right? Because he had developed that relationship. But at the time, seven years ago, and I don't know too many SDRs or BDRs out there who are like banking on a seven year relationship with, you know, somebody they prospected to seven years ago. I, I don't know. I, I personally wouldn't. Right. Um, and so, you know, when I got that, I was like, this is so personalized, but I have no need for his services. And because right. so, because it wasn't relevant, it wasn't timely. It wasn't something that it was on my priority list right now. So I think that's really where we need to focus more of our energy is, is the relevance to the role, to the challenges, to the business, and, and try to time that a little bit better so we can talk to people about, you know, this, this is where business acumen comes in for sales professionals, which I think is sorely lacking. Right. You know, they, they go through the motions, they memorize the pitch decks, they understand, you know, they, they have their personas where they're like, oh, Sally, she's a CIO and she cares about innovation. But really all they're doing is they're memorizing that and they're not having any context around it or really not having any depth around their understanding of that. And so they just kind of regurgitate these pitches that don't resonate with who they're reaching out to. Um, whereas if we learned a little bit more about what these people care about, read through some job descriptions, did some research on what these people are being held to, you know, what their responsibilities are on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, understood where the businesses are going, we could be much more relevant with our outreach um, and timely based on where they are in the stages of their business or their careers. Because as you mentioned, sometimes like reps or I've seen that BDRs are spending a lot of time to find that little thing that could 
you know, they believe it can make a difference and make the person read the email or answer the phone, right? But after you say that, there's nothing else also like connected to whatever it is that you're giving as a, as a value or as you mentioned, the pitch that you're giving. So I think that's, that's the main thing, right? We have to well, find a connection between those two. Things. That's, and, and that's where a few years back, like I was freaking out about artificial intelligence. Like there, I, I had gotten an email about three years ago from this AI bot that like some kid who had taken my training actually <clears throat> had left Salesforce and they started this artificial intelligence company to, to create super highly personalized emails in a fraction of the time of sales reps. And what, what I saw blew me away. I was like, uh, uh, it was better. It was a better email than I could have written and it written it and it wrote it in less than a minute. And I was like, Holy smokes, we're in trouble. They ended up going out of business because we actually put them out of business. And, and the, and the way the reason is because we were so impressed with what they had done. We were mm -hmm. like, Hey, maybe we'll invest in this. <clears throat> so, but we wanted to test it first. Of course. So we tested their personalized approach, like their artificial intelligence, super personalized approach to our targeted approach. Because we have a we we do personalization, but to balance quality and quantity, mm -hmm. the quality is going research that type of thing, and that's what they were doing. Right, the quantity though is more persona driven. So what we'll do is we'll take like VPs of sales in the SaaS industry, like what do those people care about today? Right, so you do a Google search on VPs of sales SaaS industry 2020 priorities challenges blah 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 in general, right, and and read up on that stuff and come up with a five to six touch cadence that speaks to VPs of sales in the SaaS industry in 2020 and what their challenges are, right? right. So we ran those two cadences, their personalized one and our, and the, the theory there or the hypothesis was they were going to get about a 20% response rate <clears throat> and we were going to get about 5% response rate. Mm -hmm. And if that was the case, they were going to go run their, you know, build their business around it and everything else. The, the, the data was not that different. It, you know, we got like a five, five and a half percent. They got like a six, six and a half percent. Mm -hmm. So they actually shifted and said, okay, it's not worth it. And then fast forward, now all these other artificial intelligence tools are coming out there doing personalization at scale. But what they're doing is exactly what you said. They're going out and finding some random personalized thing, but they're not making any connection to the value of their solution to it. So they'll, I'll get emails to say, hey, John, you know, I see you're in Boston. Uh, you know, have you been to legal seafood restaurant recently? And it's like, and, and then they'll do this hard cut into we're the leading provider of, and it's like, Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's, and it's almost like, like fake personalization is almost worse than no personalization. Yeah. Because if you're trying, it's kind of like fake rapport building. I mean, back in the day when, when, you know, sales trainers used to teach people to walk into somebody's office and look at their desk and, Oh, I see you're a fisherman and you know, I'm a fisherman too. You know, that type of crap. Well, look, if you were legitimately a fisherman, you know what I mean? Like if you fish and you know about fly fishing and you know like your stuff about trout and bass and whatever, and you can talk that talk and you go frequently and you see that somebody's a fisherman, absolutely have that connection. But if you fish like once in your life and you see somebody's a fisherman and you're like, oh, you know, I fish too. And you try to pretend like you know what you're talking about there. That actually gives you far less credibility because people can, you know, sniff that out. And it's the same thing with emails. Like if I sniff out that a kid is just personalizing just to personalize, but has no relevance or true connection to it, I roll my eyes. I mean, I, I told you I went to University of Maryland. I mean, I'm a 44-year-old man at this point. I am 24 years out of college. When I get emails saying, John, I see you went to the University of Maryland, you know, go Terps. I'm like, yeah, and I just went out last year. You're like, oh, great. Like, really? You know what I mean? Like, that's what you're putting your, that, that's what you're using to get my attention is that I went to a college 24 years ago that I don't even care about anymore. You know what I mean? Like, 
that that's where I think reps are missing it a little bit is that they, it's, it's about relevance. It's about giving, getting a true understanding, having empathy for the person that you're reaching out to and what their role is, what their company, what they're going through and sharing with them some insights of maybe other people that are in that stage of, of where they are and how you've been able to help them before or giving them ideas of what they can do, even without your solution. Right. You talk about some of your reps are having struggles sometimes figuring out how to make connections. Well, Sometimes it's, it's not about asking like, Hey, let's talk, you know, Hey, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Some, I'm a big believer uh, and a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk these days. And Gary V has this book called jab, 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 right hook, which is effectively add value, add value, add value, add value, then ask. And I think we need to be doing a lot more jabbing these days as sales reps, like just, you know, sharing content, uh, you know, maybe asking some questions to spark some interest, that type of stuff. And then coming with our real ask when it's, when we're ready. But I think that's that's totally true because uh, many times we take those ideas or okay, this may be interested for the prospect, but we don't really care. We just want them to rather get the call or yeah. you know talk to our AEs or the AEs say we just want to talk to the decision maker and we don't really care about it. No. And and that's one of the things that I was struggling the most when I was people were asking me, yeah, you spend maybe too much time with a customer or, you know, you, you get to engage. And I was like, if you don't really get engaged, you, you don't really get out something out of it. And it's really nice to really see the value that you're bringing in someone. And maybe it can be stressful, right? Because whenever there's an issue or a problem, you feel it as well. And, and I get stressed sometimes when my customers have problems. But I think that's what really matters, right? Because at the end, it's... I mean, if they're suffering, I, I should be suffering because I'm, I'm trying to find a way to help them. And, and that's what I want to like shake everyone and say, that's what we have to do here as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a balance, right? I mean, I think it also, you know, and I'll go back to, it depends on what you sell and who you sell to, you know, right. if you're selling to the SMB market and you know, your, your average contract value is $500 and it's a one call close, it's kind of hard to develop relationships and really truly, you know, have the time to care quote unquote about your customers. But you bring up a good point, you know, Morgan. So I hired um, Morgan Ingram a few years back, uh, a couple of years ago, and he was a 25 year old kid. He was an SDR and an SDR manager. And he came on board with me. He had never done full cycle selling. <clears throat> and so we worked when he first started and on his cadences and his messaging and, and try to try to get him up to speed. And he, you know, he got off, he got off the ground really good. Right. But then he kind of plateaued for a little while and he came up to me and he goes, he goes, John, I'm just like with all the work that we're doing on our messaging and everything else, he goes, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm expecting better results. He's like, I, I would think that I'd be getting better results uh, with all the work that we've been putting, but I really, I'm not getting the results I'm expecting. And he's like, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I said, Morgan, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on. I go, you're not going to get better results until something happens. And he goes, what? I go, until you start giving a shit. Totally. And he said, what? I go, look, I know you care about your job. I know you care about working with me. I know you care about all that stuff. I know you care about your career and, and making sure that you deliver the best. I go, but until you genuinely start caring about the person that you're reaching out to and, and have a genuine interest in, in helping them, um, if you can, right? Or understanding if you can help them. I think that's the other piece of this is that we can't help everybody. Like, so your solution is not the right fit for 95%, 98% of the world, right? right? That 2% though. So what I do is, you know, like I hunt for, I actually tell reps to disqualify more than they qualify. Try to find upfront, try to find all the reasons why they shouldn't do business with you, right? Because first of all, they're going to, there's some reverse psychology around that one where the client's like, wait a minute, like you don't want my business? No, 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 I want it. I, I just don't need it. And I want to make sure it's the right business, right? So you're asking those type of questions. 
Because then once you, once you get rid of all that, why they shouldn't do business with you, now you find the reason why they should and, and really how you can help them and how make a real difference. And I, and I tell those people all the time, like I do not, I don't sell you anything. Okay. Like people say, oh, you know, so it's like, in, I don't sell you anything. Okay. okay. I either help you achieve your goals or solve your problems. And if your goals aren't big enough and your problems aren't big enough, we shouldn't be talking. Right. Right. Because if you, if you look at what I hunt for is apples to apples. Like if your existing solution, say it's okay. Right. And my solution is a little bit better than that one. Like just, it's better, but it's not like marginally better. There's, there's absolutely no reason for us to have this conversation because the cost of change, the, you know, all the risk associated with that to get marginally better results compared to what you're doing right now, it, it legitimately is not worth it. And I'll tell you that, by the way, even if you want my stuff, if, I, if I'm sitting there saying, eh, I could make a little bit better of a difference, but not really. But what I'm hunting for is, can I make that big of a difference? Like, can I get in there and can I make a real impact on your business? And when I can figure out after asking you some questions and disqualifying more than qualifying and really getting in caring about, you know, the ultimate result here, if I can find that, that I, if I'm, if I think that I can make that big of a difference, then I'm going to push on you, right? That's where I can push on you to right. say, no, no, no. And, and really pull the challenger sale, if you will, for all the right reasons. It's not because I'm trying to close my end of the quarter. It's not because I'm trying to close my book. It's because I've just, I've just identified that I know I can make a difference for your business based on what I've seen before. And that's where, you know, the pushy sales rep becomes the trusted advisor sales rep to, 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 because they care because they give a shit. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it's not because you need to close it right away for my own, let's say my own, um, what I care about or as to, to reach my targets, but because I know that there's a, there's an issue. And, and I think disqualifying, that's a, that's a big um, thing that's happening now because there's a lot of companies and, you know, the sales team saying you have to disqualify and that's something scary sometimes for the, mm -hmm. for the account executives, right? Because oh, yeah. then you see yourself with a pipeline Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, cause you, I was going <clears> to, <throat> you did when you started, you know, I was going to chime in on that. Like prospecting is not just about, but for SDRs and BDRs, it, what drives me crazy right now is when AEs rely on SDRs and BDRs to hit their quota. And I say to an AE, like I grew up, you know, Gen Xer, 44 years old. Like when I grew up in sales, I, it was, I didn't have SDRs. I didn't have BDRs. I, I just, I had my quota. I had my territory and, it was, and I had to do, I had to do absolutely everything. Right. So now I look at it. I'm like, if I had an SDR or BDR, I would treat them like gold. Right. Because first of all, they're doing the grunt work, but I also wouldn't rely on them because, and this is for everybody listening to this podcast right now. I'm a, so I was a VP of sales. I'm a CEO. Now, if I was running a company that, or a sales team that had multiple AEs on it mm -hmm. and the AE came to me one day, at the end of the quarter and, and miss their quota. And their, their, their excuse was that, well, my SDR or my BDR didn't give me enough meetings before that sentence even got out of their mouth. I would fire them. Right. I, I mean, I'm, and I'm not even joking because who, who in the world, who, what sales rep worth their salt in any way, shape or form wants to rely on somebody else to hit their quota. Like to me, I'm going to hit my quota on my own regard, right? And whatever the SDR or the BDR brings to the table for me, that's icing on the cake. That's me hitting my accelerators. That's hitting me my, you know, that, all that other stuff. But I am not going to rely on marketing, inbound leads, SDRs or BDRs to fill my pipeline because <clears throat> I found one solution to every other problem at every other stage of the sales process, by the way. 
like negotiation, discounting, objection handling, all that stuff, which I train on all that stuff, by the way. But I found one solution to all of it. And it's a big fat pipeline. You have a big fat pipeline. You don't have to try too hard with the rest of that stuff. Like I don't discount anymore at all. I straight up don't discount anymore at all. Like zero because I don't have to. And, and I, cause I want to put myself in a position with a client where I want your business. I don't need it. Cause if I want your business, I sell the right way. I ask the right questions. I close on your timeline, not mine, all that stuff. If I need your business, then I do some shady shit. You know what I mean? Then, then I, yeah. yeah, I give you that discount at the end of the month. You didn't even ask for, you know, I go over your head cause I'm not at power. Like that's if I need it. But if I want it, I don't care when you close. Right. And, and it allows me to sell the right way. And so when people say, Oh, well, John, you know, you're twice as expensive or whatever. You're, you know, way more expensive than I, I'm like, good. Hey, good for them. Actually good for me. You know, what? It's, it's like, if you, if, if you think that getting that half price, if you think they're a better fit for you, then by all means go work with them. I don't care. I think we're going to make a difference for you, but if you're not willing to spend the money, it's okay. I've got 50 other clients right now. They're more than happy to pay rate card. So. And, and I also think that doesn't happen from one day to another, right? There's also like consistency. And you have mm-hmm. to work hard. Like, I, I don't like this at ease. It comes like, oh, I have an empty pipeline or I haven't closed anything for six months or one year or whatever. But they're always like complaining and, and whatever. Like you have to do something and you have to be consistent. And maybe you're not going to be, you know, going crazy one quarter and then the other one not, but you're going to be oh. consistent and you're going to give you giving results after and after good ones, you know? Consistency is the key. I mean, anybody, uh, you know, <clears throat> the the rep that crushes their quota one quarter and then throws up a goose egg and the next one is infuriating to leadership. Um, the ones who are consistently, they might not blow their quota out, but they're consistently hitting their quota. And, and there's something about that. And I've really been focusing on this a lot, which is making sure that you have a routine, right? Because what happens mostly is, is this in the sense that people's pipelines are empty, right? So they prospect, prospect, they spend all their time prospecting, right? Like, and, and usually they do it in a very bad way. They blast out a million emails because they're nervous that they don't have a lot of deals in their pipeline, right? So they blast out a million emails or make a million phone calls and pretty much ruin their, their chances of ever reaching out to those people again. But they might get some conversations, obviously, whatever. So then the deals are in the pipeline, right? So they start working those deals. So they spend, now they're spending more time working on those deals and less time prospecting. And then all of a sudden it kind of gets to the end of the month or the end of the quarter. So they focus all of their efforts on closing, right? Because I got to hit that quota. But they, and so they spend almost no time prospecting. Mm-hmm. Then they close out their month. They close out their quarter. Yay, good for you. You hit your target. Holy crap. You start from zero again. And it goes this horrible cycle. Whereas if you just did a little bit every day, right? And that's what my, like, I talk about like, you know, you know, let's make the analogy of, of, of like working out, right? Of going to the gym. Right. Like I suck at working out. And the reason I suck at working out is because I'm an event driven worker outer in the sense that it like, if I'm, if I have a vacation coming up for the, you know, two months before the vacation, I'm working out, I'm eating good. I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I need. (laughs) Right. And then as soon as I get back from vacation, I'm like, Oh, pizza, beer, like, Oh, who gives a shit? You know, Oh, got to get summertime. Got to make sure I don't look like a whale on the beach, you know? And then after all winter, thankfully. Right. Um, I know that if I just woke up every day and did a few push-ups, few sit-ups and hit the elliptical for like 15, 20 minutes or something like that, I'd maintain, you know what I mean? And I'd be in really good shape and I'd stay consistent with it. It's the same thing with prospecting, right? If you treat prospecting as an event, 
where it's like, oh, okay, like, let me block off two hours on my calendar this week, I guess, because I should probably do some prospecting. First of all, by the time you get to those two hours, it's going to be the last thing on your list that you want to do, because you're going to have a million other things that could go over that because they're, they're, you know what I mean? It's just not fun, right? It's the lowest conversion ratio of any stage of the sales process. And then you're probably going to do it poorly, even if you do get after it, right? But if you did every, like what I do every morning is, I grab my morning routine. I got my coffee here. Did it this morning right before our call where I'm just scanning through. I, I got my top 25 accounts on tools like Sales Navigator, Owler, Google Alerts, you know, Twitter, Facebook, those. And all I'm doing is I'm scanning through those, those data feeds, yeah. looking for things to make connections to. And I might only throw, you know, send off two or three emails every single morning, but I do that every single morning. Right. That's, that's exactly it. We have to make sure that we're doing it every day and we're consistent and and going back a bit go to the to the ae part and like this is personalization how we're working now with all these tools that are given to us um do you think that has to be kind of a, a mixture between letting all this automate automation work but also putting ourselves a bit of personalization on it as a consistent you know way of working every day or should we just like relay completely in automation and just do some personalized calls I don't know what yeah, no, I think it's again, I think it's your target audience. I think it's it's you know how you set up your process and and right. and how efficient you can be. Um, <clears throat> you know, my approach, uh, for whatever it's worth, uh, is i I take twenty five accounts quarterly. Uh, so for me, and this is just super tactical stuff, like I, once a quarter, um, I, I have 25 accounts and three personas per account. So VPs of sales, CROs, and VPs of enablement. Those are my three personas, right? So once a quarter, I go in and I use Evernote to take all my notes. So I have folders for all those accounts and all those uh, prospects. So I clean those up and I say, okay, are these still my top 25 accounts? Are these still my top 25 prospects? And then I go reset my social feeds. I literally delete everybody out of my social feeds and I reset them with my new top 25 accounts and 75 people. Right. And then that's my morning routine where I'm getting alerted on that stuff. Right. And then once a month I pick five accounts, five tier one, like really good accounts. And it's a two hour recurring meeting on my calendar. And I sit down, I go do all my research at the same time. And I come up with very thoughtful, tailored contact strategies to those five accounts. And I do that all at the same time. So I do all my research at the same time. So I'm not like researching, writing one email, scheduling another activity three or four days later, and then trying to do more research and write another email. It's I'm finding five, six, seven things all at the same time. And I'm writing out my cadence, my personalized cadence to those five accounts. And then I put them into tools like I use SalesLoft and Salesforce, obviously. Um, but then once a month, we do a persona driven cadence where we pick one persona. So VPs of sales in the SaaS industry, we go do what I said earlier, where you Google like VPs of sales, SaaS industry, priorities, challenges, 2020, see what these people care about. Okay. Read a few articles, come up with the top five or six priorities and challenges that those people face, and then carve up our value proposition to align with those. So we put together a six to 10 touch cadence per persona, which is volume oriented. Right. So now we sit down at the beginning of the month. I pick five accounts. I do that really tailored one. And we pick probably 50 accounts to put through a, ta to a persona driven one. And right. we send out 50 or 50 emails that, that day. And then three days later, another 50 emails. And then three days later, another yeah, 50 calls. Right. So now I'm making calls all into one persona with the same message as part of a cadence. Right. So that balance right there of quality every day, drinking my coffee, looking at the data feeds, picking five accounts once a month and doing very thoughtful tailored ones. And then once a month, picking a persona driven cadence to go volume at that keeps the pipeline nice and consistently full.
And, and when you're saying that you're like changing this eventually rather monthly or quarterly, do you believe also in disqualifying prospects? Like when you have tried, for example, so many different oh, yeah. people from, from a different company, right? Where, where I am and, and the experience I have is like, sometimes we have these companies that we say we have to work with them and we're struggling and we're trying one thing, second thing, spending money, spending. And at one point you say, okay, should I just stop trying? So I, there's, there's proactively trying and then there's reactively trying, right? So I, I don't think we should ever let go anybody who fits that true ideal customer profile of ours. Like if we, if they fit the profile, right, they might not be ready for it. Timing might be the issue, but if they genuinely fit that mold of that's a client that I know we can add value to, then we should that, but, but that should be more of a marketing thing once we go after them. So, so for instance, I, same thing happens to me, right? Like there's a, there's a few accounts that I'm like, Oh man, I want to work with them so hard, but, but, and I try to be objective to this so I don't get emotionally attached to anything. Um, Cause what I'll do is I go back to it, 25 accounts, three personas, right? Once right. a quarter. So what happens to me is month one in that quarter, I go after the VPs of sales. Month two, I'll go after VPs of enablement. Month three, I'll go after CROs. And if I do six to 10 touches to the VPs of sales one month, six to 10 touches to VP of enablement, and then six to 10 touches to a CRO all in the same company and they don't respond, obviously they have zero interest in either they have zero interest in what I'm selling or that it's just not the right time. So I'm going to put them on a nurture campaign so they get marketing stuff and they, you know, I can keep my name in front of them and those type of things, but I'll, I'll let them breathe for another six months or so. And when I, if, and when I do come back at them, I'm going to come back at them. Like something has to have changed, right? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Maybe it's either on your end or my end. Exactly. Because, it, because for, like, if I come back, you have to do the same messaging, it ain't going to work. Hopefully within those six months, there's something that shifted in their business or maybe a new product offering that we brought to the table, right? So I have a new reason to reach out. So you're not just touching base and checking in and seeing, you know, that type of crap. Exactly. So I think it's, it's important to, yes, go after those tier one accounts. Yes, you know, do everything you can to get their attention without being annoying, um, but after a while, you just need to throw the white flag up there and say, okay, they're just not ready for, or they're, they might not be interested right now. So let's have marketing, do an account-based marketing thing to them or, you know, put them on our, our, you know, mailer list or something like that. And I'll put another activity in Salesforce to come back six months later and see if anything's changed. And relevance here again plays a role, right? Because maybe we have to check what's changed, what's happening. Maybe they're not telling us something that we could have figure out somewhere else, right? Exactly. So that, that makes a, so all the AEs and BDRs listening to here, you're giving us amazing tools that they're sure going to implement. I'm pretty sure about it. Um, but well, I think, um, I don't know, John, if, if you have something else to, to share with us today, or if you uh, want I to talk for days about sales, I could talk for days about sales. So, I, I, so, so uh, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I guess your audience, um, you know, what are some of the things that they've said that, uh, that, that they were looking for? Because we can dive into that. I, I mean, we get a little bit more time. Sure, um, sure. Definitely. I think the, the, most, the most important here thing is, um, as you mentioned, AEs should never rely on BDRs because sometimes BDRs are actually having a lot of pressure on themselves. Mm -hmm. saying, okay, they have to reach KPIs and they have to reach the quota, but yeah. AEs cannot just blame them for anything that's happening, right? Wow. So there's here like two different parts. Uh, we were also talking last time that sometimes companies are putting a lot of uh, pressure on BDRs numbers and BDRs KPIs and so on. And, and we wanted to find a way that BDRs could also 
put a little bit of personalization on whatever it is that they're doing. But coming back to the topic that we talked uh, at the very beginning, understanding how to do this, but really truly and genuinely giving some value to the prospects that they're reaching out to, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of that has to do with uh, tearing out your... So I'm going to give you the perspective from an executive standpoint, from a manager standpoint, and then I'll flip it over and say why that's wrong. Right. <laughs> uh, well, not necessarily why it's wrong. I think it, you know, quality and quantity, right? Like that's what we're talking about here is like quality, like, hey, make 50 dials a day, make 100 dials a day, whatever it is, hit those KPIs, right? Look, when a BDR and SDR starts, okay, when they start at a new company, mm-hmm. as a manager, I don't know where to help you, okay? Like I don't know what your skills are. I don't know how good you are at what you do. I'm going to give you obviously some training and some product knowledge and boot camp and all that other stuff. But once you really start making the calls, I, I don't know what is what right now. So the easiest thing, so there's two pieces, there's two levers I can pull as a manager. There's quality and quantity, okay? Quantity is the easier one for me to cross off the list. So that's why when you first start at my company, I need to figure out whether you're going to be able to even do the job. So I'm going to tell you, make 50 dials. I'm going to give you some piece of shit script. It's going to be good enough. I'm going to, and hopefully I'm not going to give you like the best leads. I'm going to give you some leads to cut your teeth on, right? So that's why I firmly believe in you need to make sure you tear out your accounts. You got your tier ones, tier twos, and tier threes. Tier ones, those are the quality ones. Those are the ones you spend time doing research and that type of stuff. Tier twos, that's the quantity, but not just blasting out a million emails, being very targeted. And tier threes which I used to hate because they're bad customers. Now I absolutely love them. And I really encourage most organizations to have a list of tier threes um, in, their, in their book for one very specific reason, and it's practice. So, right. you, so for instance, like for the first three to six months, say first three months, you're, you're, if you're on my team, I'm going to say, go make 50 dials a day. Like go do a hundred sales activities a day. You know Why? Because I got I to gotta see if you even, because we know the macro equation here as, as executives, most executives know the macro equation of, hey, if we get X amount of meetings, they're going to convert this way. And so in general, you know, if a rep makes a hundred dials, they're going to get this and this and this. So that's, that's a general why reps need to be making those 50 dials a day. But then after three months, if you've hit those numbers, if you have, if you've made your ears bleed and you've done the activities that I've asked you to do and you're still, the, the equation isn't still flushing out, right? So it's not like you've done the activities, but you're not getting the meetings. The conversion ratios aren't there. Well, now I know it's not a quantity issue. Now I know it's a quality issue. So now I'm going to sit down with you and say, okay, let me now listen to your calls. Let me now figure out like how we can try different approaches here. And so once you graduate through that, now you can graduate up, but I still think you need to section out your approaches. And the easiest, again, the easiest way to do that is don't just give reps accounts. Most companies, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, here's the real basic demographic information about our ICP. They're in these, you know, these industries, uh, this many employees and this revenue size. Okay. Here's your list. And they give a list or or rep a list of, I don't know, a thousand accounts or something like that. And what most reps do is they just start calling through their list. They treat every single account on that, on their territory as similar. And and I couldn't disagree more. Right. I think you need to sit down and take, take that list and then say, okay, what, what really makes a good account for us? Let's dig a little bit deeper into what those real ICP pieces are mm-hmm. so that I can section out tier one, tier two, tier three, and therefore apply the right approach to each one of those tiers. And also one thing that you, you mentioned is like sometimes they like reps or, or BDRs are just trained to pitch something, to tell yeah. 
tell, okay, this is a product and this is why you should be talking to us. Mm. But we are not showing them a little bit like how, how we help other people like them and make it a little bit more customized, let's say like that. Or, and, or giving a shit, going back to giving a shit. Yeah. Like nobody cares about our product. Nobody gives a shit about what we sell. They only care about their problems, their challenges, and, and maybe, just maybe, what we can do to help them. But if we sit there and say, look at this great new thing without really understanding what the client's needs are, that's what I, I really have a challenge with most companies when, they, when they're, with their onboarding. It's all product-centric. It's all, hey, memorize the spec sheet. Here's the details, right? So you give a kid in today's world, <clears throat> most kids, unfortunately, are taught to the test, right? So we work, you know, we got standardized testing and all that other stuff. So kids are literally memorizing so they can learn, right? So, so, they, can, so they can pass that test. I wouldn't even say learn. So you give a kid coming out of college who's been taught to the test their entire life. Then you tell them, here's the product and memorize this pitch and that type of stuff. That's what they're going to do. And they're just going to regurgitate that. And, and, and have no interest in asking the client why it's relevant to them, what the real needs are, being empathetic to what the client, you know what I mean? So they, so yeah, they curious, Right. As you mentioned a lot, curiosity is like really, really important. And sometimes people are like, okay, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to, to give as a result. And that's it. Yeah. But you have to ask questions. You yeah. have to understand why is it relevant for the customer? Why is it not relevant for them? Right. So. And I think empathy is, is something that empathy and, and business acumen, two pieces, like, you know, quick, quick tips I have here. Like when Morgan uh, came on board. So again, going back to um, giving people the answer versus helping them understand the answer. Okay. <clears throat> Most companies, what they do is when a rep comes on board, here's the product, memorize it. Uh, here's a, here's your ICP. There's your list of a thousand accounts. Go. Here's your uh, persona, Sally. She likes innovation. Talk, right? So all these kids are doing is they're going, they're memorizing that stuff. They're going through the motions and they're regurgitating their pitches and, they, and there's no insights, right? right. So what I, what I do is I, I don't give the kids the answer coming on board. I give them the structure of what I'm expecting from them and mm -hmm. I tell them to go figure it out. So as an example, when Morgan came on board here, instead of me telling him who our best customer, who, what our ICP was, yeah. What I did was I gave him our top 10 customers. I gave him just the names of our top 10 customers. And I said, I, and it wasn't just based on revenue, by the way. It was, there was way more to it than, than that. Right. And I said, Morgan, I want you to go out and find figure out why. What are the similarities? What are the common factors of these 10 customers? And I want you to go talk to a few of them about why they chose us, why they continue to work with us, and, and you know, what, where they're at, right? So I gave him an assignment to go learn about mm -hmm. those customers, Okay. Same thing with the ICP. I said, look, our three ideal customer, our, our, I'm sorry, our, our personas, right? Same thing with personas. I said, these are our three personas, VPs of sales, CROs, VPs of enablement. Here's what I want you to do. Instead of me telling you what these people care about, I want you to go do some homework. And I want you to go find out research and that type of stuff, but also interview some of them. Right. So <clears throat> what he did was he like, he had never sold the VPs of enablement, right? He didn't even know what they did. So what he did was he went on, he went on uh, LinkedIn and he did a post and he said, Hey, look, I just started here at Jay Barrows. Uh, I've never sold it. We're selling now to VPs of enablement. I have no idea what VPs of enablement even do. He's like, would anybody out there be open to spending 15, 20 minutes with me? To, like who is a VP of enablement, right? And, and helping me learn what this role is all about. So he interviewed people in those roles. He read through their job descriptions and he read some articles about, you know, trends and what was happening in those spaces. Right. And he put together this one pager for me about what these people care about, what their priorities are, what the main things were. So now with the ICP and learning my customers, right? And actually talking to some of them, 
And then the persona stuff and learning that and going through those exercises. Now, when he went out there to start making his calls, he understood. Like he knew what to look for in accounts that would really make sure that like, these were a good fit for us. Without, you telling, you, without you telling him that's exactly what you have to look at, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he knew the, um, you know, he, he, he understood the personas and he could reference those, he could reference those, uh, those conversations. So like when he would call a VP of enablement and prospect into them, what he could say is, Hey, you know what? That's interesting. You know, I, I was speaking with a few VPs of enablement recently and they said that moving into 20, you know, back then 2018, you know, some of their main things that they're being held accountable for X, Y, and Z are those yours. Right. And right. even if they weren't, most of the people that he was talking about, well, no, actually, but here's what our problems are. And they would open up because he showed that he had some type of insights as opposed to just memorizing what these, I mean, and last point on this, an easy way to prove that reps do not have business acumen and they don't necessarily care yeah. as much as they should is this. And I'll, and I'll challenge any company to ask their reps because I do this all the time. I, I train companies who sell technical solutions to technical people, right? So CIOs, CTOs, that type of stuff. And I'm talking senior reps. And I will sit in front of a group of 50 reps and I will say, let me ask you in here, who knows the difference between a CTO and a CIO? A cricket room. Yeah. Crickets. Crickets. Most, most people, and, I'm, and by the way, I'm going to put myself in this bucket itself. I'm a 44-year-old man. I didn't know, and I used to sell IT services. I didn't know the difference until I was 35. And the reason I didn't know until I was 35 was because, and the only reason I actually do know is because when I was talking to a CIO, I was using the wrong language. And the CIO said to me, he goes, can I, can I ask you something? And I was like, yeah, sure. What's up? He goes, do you have any idea what the difference between a CTO and a CIO is? And I sat there deer in headlights. I was like, uh, no. Right. He goes, I, it's pretty obvious you don't know the difference between a CTO and a CIO because you've been talking to me about this stuff that has zero relevance to my job. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. So my, that was a wake up call for me, but that's an easy litmus test to say, you have any idea? And so for those of you out there listening and you don't have any idea, just Google it. There's an article out there that says, what's the difference between a CTO and a CIO? And that's all you need to know. You don't need to know what a CTO does on a day-to-day -day basis. You just need to know enough to be able to ask a thoughtful question. You know what I mean? To, to a, a, a contextual question. When you have different personas, sometimes you have like this, this names that appear on LinkedIn and everyone thinks, oh, because that's, that's what he says. I'm going to talk to him about this. Right. But you have no idea. Sometimes it has nothing to do or the person has absolutely no interest or whatever it is that you're speaking right. or like, I'm sorry, peaching or speaking to him about. And they're like, okay. Uh, but something that you really mentioned is like, we can, we can show and learn the, the young people at companies how to do this. It's super simple. Mm -hmm. Just start by looking, Googling it. Be curious. Exactly. Be curious. You know what I think, what I've, what I've struggled with and, um, and then we can wrap up, but I've struggled on two things and it's work ethic and genuine curiosity in the sense that for whatever reason, uh, my parents instilled in me at a, at a young age, I have a very strong work ethic. I just, I just do. Um, I have a hard time. I'm trying to figure out, can you learn that or is it born? Right. Cause you can't teach passion. You can't teach drive. I don't think you can. I, I think you have that inherently. I think you can uncover it, maybe help people uncover that drive, but I don't think you can actually instill that in other people. So that to me is work ethic is a really strong, like, huh, hopefully you, you have it. Right. But then the other one is genuine curiosity. Like, can you teach genuine curiosity? I've always been genuinely curious. And I, and I think it stems from me not knowing that I'm not the smartest kid in the room. 
Like again, I'm a state school kid, drank my way through college, that type of stuff. I'm, an, I'm not dumb, but I'm not like Harvard, MIT smart kid. You know what I mean? And I've always known that. Okay. So with that, my, the way I learn, I don't learn by reading books. I don't learn by, you know, I learn by interviewing. I learn by talking to people who are smarter than me and being genuinely curious about where they came from, what their situation is and that type of stuff. And I just, I, I'm, I've, I've been hunting for a way to help other, help kids or anybody for that matter, figure out how to really give a shit, how to genuinely be curious about who they're, you know, about who they're talking to. Right. Um, and, and because once you are genuinely curious and people, people, people can tell that you're genuinely curious and they'll give you a lot more leeway if you're, if you might be asking dumb questions, but at least you're trying to ask the right questions and you just don't know what questions to ask because you're hunting for a really good answer. They'll right. work with you a lot more than somebody who pretends like they know what they're talking about. And I think now like in companies, uh, there's a lot of young people starting as, as I have, in my experience, there's a lot of BDRs that are coming in with, as you mentioned, 21, 22, 23 years old. And, and they're so, so young and there's a lot to teach them. And as you mentioned, maybe curiosity is not something that they're born with, right. but you can try to teach them how to ask for the questions, how to find out, find out a little bit more about things. And that's going to open them a whole universe. And they're going to see also sales and prospecting a complete different way. That's also what happened to me. That's why I'm, I'm kind of uh, seeing myself through the mirror. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but in general, that's, that's, that's what I also wanted to give or get out of this podcast. For me, it's really important to be speaking to people and to talk a lot. And sometimes I'm a bit shy or get like nervous, you know, when I was about to talk to you, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing because you learn and, and we discuss and we talk about things. And I hope these conversations are going to be uh, further on time because I know that personally and a lot of people more can learn a lot from you. Um, and yeah, that's, that was actually great so far. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you so much, John. And if you can just tell maybe everyone, how can they reach out to you or how can they get to know from you? Yeah, sure. So easiest way, the website, jbarrows.com. So J, B as in boy, A-R-R-O-W-S.com. That's where you'll find pretty much everything, like a resource library with tons of free content, blog, tons of free content. Uh, if you want to hit me directly, though, uh, LinkedIn is, is a big one um, for me, but also I actually, uh, funny enough, Instagram. Uh, I do a lot of my coaching and, um, and give away free content and, and free, free coaching on Instagram all the time. Yeah, that's so when you were, up on, you, were, you were asking if it's like curiosity, was it born or something we can teach? And I was like, I think we can teach it. I think we can teach it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, so yeah, Instagram is my handles, John, J O H N M as in Michael Barrows, all one word. Uh, you'll find me there. And yeah, if anybody wants to hit me up on Instagram and, and has a question about sales or anything like that, I will happily get back to you. So, um, yeah, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on. No, thanks a lot. So everyone who needs uh, some tips or just want to get a hold on him, there you know how to, how to reach out to him. And for me, it was a pleasure. I enjoyed a lot this conversation and I'm pretty sure everyone else did as well. So thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you as well. Have a great day.